Yes, folks, it's Thursday. It's 2 p.m. There are fireworks in the background. I'm Fred McMurray, which means this has to be... Ladies, Ooh, hey, happy Friday Eve. Happy Friday Eve, and it couldn't come at a better time, right? No, when Fred says fireworks, I assume he means my dogs are barking upstairs. Nope, I didn't. There was another reason. <laughs> you just never know. No. Hey, there was oh, a different you... reason why I said fireworks. Oh, really? Yeah. What is why? that? Well, thank you for asking. One of our sponsors, Michelle Rempel um, of, of West Sign, she's celebrating her 15th wedding anniversary. I'm told her husband's kind of a pain in the ass. Oops. Um, and it's quite true. I've met him. So, um, but happy anniversary to her. Yay. Yay. Good yeah. to Fred. Yeah. I think That's quite an accomplishment to get someone to stick with you that long, Fred. Yeah, second time around. Killed the last one, but, you know. We're going to have to send her a bottle of medication. Okay. I'm down with that. <laughs> hey, so, uh, Elizabeth, did you hear McDonald's is coming up with a new McFlurry? Please tell me about the new McFlurry, especially since now I can't have it, so I'm off sugar and carbs. Go ahead. Rub it in there. I need to tell you that, but on the 25th, apparently on the 25th, it's coming out with pretzels and chocolate in it. And oh. I think it's going to be some caramel, too. So now when I go through there to get my large dollar iced tea that I get, you know, every single week, my little plug for McDonald's, because it's only a dollar, right? Um, I can also get three choices of McFlurries. The M&M, the Oreo, or this new one, like the caramel pretzel, whatever it's going to be called. I miss the name of it. So, um, yep, I'm going to have to exercise some more if I can keep up, uh, if I'm going to keep ordering those things. So. Yeah, a little salty, a little sweet is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I miss it, I have to tell you. Yeah, I got super excited. Hey, also on the 25th, something for our word on the street, um, there is going to be an expert panel, to which I got invited and I can't wait. It's the state of hiring in home and commercial services, um, hosted by our friends over at Career Plug. And it's going to be Wednesday, May 25th at 12 p.m. Central Time. And we'll put some information out there. We're going to share their posts on that. Um, they're going to be coming on our show here in the next few weeks. Um, but they just did a podcast about um, candidate ghosting and uh, what to do when you go to hire people and they just don't show up. And so I'm really excited to be a part of this panel and what, what we can do to, to make sure you hire and keep the people since that's been a theme that we've talked about with Karen throughout the last few weeks as well. So, um, and how about that other fun article we found? Well, before we move on to that though, I just wanna give a plug for tomorrow because speaking oh, of yeah. you next week, don't forget what we're doing on Pillars tomorrow at Noon Central yeah. Time. And, and talking about uh, a new take on performance reviews and how to maintain employees um, and keep them happy and healthy and willing to work for you. If you would like to join a free lunch and learn, yes. here's a week. 
or even thinking about becoming a franchisee, or if you are a general manager of a franchise, um, join us. The information is all over our LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn event at the Pillars of Franchising page. So now let's move on to the next thing. (laughs) So the 25th, and we jump back to tomorrow. I totally forgot about tomorrow. And how could I forget that? Because I've got to be there, right? So this one caught my eye this morning because of the name. And she's (laughs) referred to as the slutty vegan. And I was like, the slutty vegan. No, I read about it too, and I could not exactly find why she came up with that name in particular. You know, know. I'm not too sure that I really want to know, but I'm sure it's not near as racy as it seems. Um, Well, the names of her burgers follow suit. It's the One Night Stand burger and the Menage a Trois burger. So she's got a whole theme going. But here, you know what? She got us talking about her, and we don't even really know who she is. So No, but I got to find her now. Her name is Pinky Cole, right? Pinky Cole is her name. And uh, I think that goes along with her hair because she's, she's got it kind of colored pink, and it's super cute. And uh, she's down in Atlanta, and she's working with graduates of the Clark Atlanta University. And you want to talk, I mean, we talk about, we talk a lot about um, what goes on with the Titus Center. Yeah. And now we found yet another person who's doing a lot of great stuff to give back, not only in underserved communities, but to graduates of college to help them get ahead and get it kind of a head start. Right. And this is her alma mater and it's at um, HBCU. So She's got, she's clearly got a special place in her heart for, for her school and her community. And she is offering all graduates of this year um, an LLC to help push them toward entrepreneurship and business ownership. So, it, I mean, talk about a big swath of giving back. It includes some help in, in attaining those things. But she's trying to inspire young people to become entrepreneurs. And I just think it's such a great I'm saying is she's given back before. She's got quite the entrepreneurial spirit, but she's also got quite the philanthropic spirit. Yeah, um, she does. Go ahead. The, the thing that really caught me, and, and I'm going to quote her because and maybe you're thinking the same thing, but mm-hmm. of, of more than 800 graduates in her speech, she said to them, and, and Karen, you're going to love this. It says, it matters how you treat people. Mm-hmm. You're about to go out into the world. Some of you will own businesses become supervisors and lead teams. You'll be called on to push people to realize greatness that they might not see in themselves. And even as you hold people to the highest standards possible, you will still have to lead with grace. And I thought, oh my God, I love Well, And one of the things I think that really struck me too is that um, in 2020, she and her partner, Derek Hayes of Big Dave's Cheesecakes, Uh, bought a car for Tamika Miller, who was the widow of Richard Brooks, who was shot and killed um, by an Atlanta police officer. And that struck her um, to the point where she provided life insurance policies and scholarships for Brooks' four children to go to Clark Atlanta. So she really is about seeing a need and meeting it. Um, And I think she's seeing a need, and I'm sure part of it has to do with the change in the economy and the, the things that were going on and out the world and giving people the power to make their own path. Right. So, uh, you know, we, clearly we don't want to put words in our mouth, but I think it's important to note when people are doing things like this, because it's really a call to the rest of us that we can step up our games. I mean, she, she from her photo as a young woman, um, 
and young in her business for sure. We're trying to reach out to her. She's got to mention that um, that she may be franchising on her website. So we want to find out more about that and see if we can't maybe get her on the show and see what her plans are for expansion. But she's really been a hit in the Atlanta area, and you can you can see why. Yeah, absolutely. And and really in recognition of um, the Women in Small Business Month, I just think that it's it's a great story. And if you happen to be down there in the Atlanta area, and she's actually getting ready to open one in, oh my goodness, I had it right on the tip of my tongue. And I'm so sorry for you folks that live there. Um, that it's not coming to, oh, Atlanta, where the heck they're going somewhere really fabulous too. Just go Brooklyn, to Brooklyn, New York, Athens, Athens. 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 That's oh, Athens. Athens. one of my favorite places. We lived there for six months. Yeah. So um, that one is coming here later this month. And so congratulations to her and Slutty Vegan for um, really hitting it out of the park to stick with the baseball theme we were talking about earlier today. So um, great job, and thanks for being such a great citizen and just an overall good person giving back to the community in which she serves. So let's get on with the show. Let's do. All right, Kristen. So we have someone on the show that you have been social media stalking. I don't know if Erin knows this. Um, (laughs) I don't. I'm learning right now. You have been social media stalked by Kristen. So excited about what you're doing. So let me give everybody a little introduction and background. And then we're going to jump right in. Erin um, Pash holds a master's degree from Minnesota and state uh, master's degree in a Minnesota state license in marriage and family therapy. She's also recognized by the Minnesota and American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy as a clinical supervisor and clinical fellow. Over the last 15 years, her work experience in local government and nonprofits have led her to co-found an agency, Ellie Mental Health, to bring more creativity and fill the gaps in the mental health community. In the last six years, Ellie has grown to 18 locations throughout Minnesota and has provided services for more than 20,000 families. Ellie Mental Health has expanded the business nationally via the franchise model and in six months has sold over 250 locations in 27 states. I have so many questions about that. Mm-hmm. Erin is the CEO of her company, an author, a professional speaker, a content creator, and a mom to three boys. She has worked with several Minnesota legislators on various bills, including the most recent one, which would provide preventative mental health care services at no cost to all Minnesotans. She has developed a nationally recognized, uh, nationally recognized training material on complex family systems and divides her time between presenting, teaching, running her business, and her volunteer work. She is a subject matter expert on relationships, anxiety, complex family systems, human emotions, and the biopsychosocial implications of human behavior. So, Erin, thank you so much for coming on, and welcome to the show. I sound so much fancier when somebody reads that out loud. <laughs> yeah, so it's you've got to own your great. I mean, when you hear right. those, nobody ever hears them all out loud in order in a whole big ever. No, and it's yeah. important. I think everyone should have their accomplishments read to them out loud sometime in their life, right? Absolutely. Yeah, well, in another year, when some of those numbers change, I'll call you, and you'll just have to read it out loud for me. So this is who you are. Did you yeah. know? Like, what? Yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> well, and I have to tell you, I mean, I learned about the brand and um, the practices before I figured out who was behind Ellie Mental Health. And I just fell in love with the model and I was so excited and I was trying to figure out, you know, I kept saying it to Elizabeth and to Fred going, oh my gosh, check this out. And I said to Jerry, 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 check this out. It looks like such a great model. And um, what do you think? And he's like, Kristen, relax, relax. You're getting ahead of, you know, you're getting your cart ahead of the horse again. And um, it's just, 
it's, it's very near and dear to my heart because obviously, um, you know, with so many kids and I have three kids also, um, now at the end of this month, they're all going to be in high school and college. Thank goodness we just made that transition. But um, everybody at different points in their lives, everybody going through different things, their friends going through different things, everybody coming out of COVID. I mean, there seems to be such a huge need for mental health from the very young ages all the way up to the very advanced ages. How how did you get this started? I mean, you couldn't have foreseen this huge need five no. years ago. No, you know, what's interesting, because it's, it's, it's a topic we talk about a lot, especially now that, like, the, is the pandemic over? Is it just kind of going to be like this up into, like, a roller coaster for us? I'm guessing probably it will for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the reasons I was super excited about starting my own practice back in 2015 was because I could see that the, the way people were experiencing mental health was changing, right? That stigma that's just kind of plagued this field forever, right? Since I was a kid, yeah. since, you know, the, this field is not new. So being in psychotherapy and psychology is not a new industry by any means, but it's been kind of plagued with the stigma around can't talk about your weaknesses, you can't share your feelings, you just got to tough it up, you know, no crying in baseball to keep the thing right. going. There's a lot of tears in baseball, by the way, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there was this idea of like, I feel like we could do really cool things to kind of shake up this industry to help destigmatize it, right? Mm-hmm. This, this thing that I love so much and is so near and dear to me as kind of a young grad or a young therapist. I was like, let's try and bring humor and creativity and some authenticity and like compassion. I'm naming some of our core values, but yeah. let's pull these all together and find a way to to make mental health feel more relatable, which is what we did in 2015. And out the gate, we were just like blown away by our success, right? We were like, holy crap, there were three of us. We're like, this is going to take years. You know, my dad had owned a law practice many years before. And, um, you know, I kind of had the opportunity to observe that business growth is slow and steady and you're going to fall on your face and get back up again. And we saw on our face plenty, but um, had no time to wallow in our mistakes because it was just had to get up and keep running in this race because mental health was um, was and is becoming more popular. And so we saw incredible growth because of this new, fresh approach that we took to kind of an age-old industry and how we relate and, and connect with our clients, our community, and just kind of some of our values. Now you fast forward. So we were already on this growth trajectory where we were adding a new clinic. You know, in our first three years, we only had three or four clinics. But by our fourth year, we were at like 10 or something like that. Like it was already on this uphill trajectory. Then COVID hit. We're scrambling. We're trying to figure out what the hell we're supposed to do. Heck, we're supposed to do. Sorry. Um, Bad language sometimes happens for me. Um, But what the heck we're supposed to do, because we've got people who are like finally excited about mental health, coming to therapy, where we've got this awesome, um, we have this awesome group of clinicians and this employment experience, which is great. And now all of a sudden it's like not safe to go in office. People, you know, the stigma work that we had done, you know, uh, getting people in the office was hard enough, let alone now telehealth. There right. was like there was like an added stigma before um, before the pandemic that was like I'm not going to do therapy via telehealth. You know how many people are going to hear all my vulnerabilities and secrets because of internet hacking and you know all of this other stuff. So we had to we we took our our team of 250 people um, and got them online in four days. So that there wasn't really a skip in people's uh, service delivery, and that instantly destigmatized telehealth too. So now we have these two ways of doing mental therapy: we could see people in person, 
pandemic eliminated that. Now we can do telehealth, which meant there are so many less barriers to people getting access to these services. They don't have to worry about going on a lunch break, worry about going after work, worrying about when kids are in school. And right. so our, our wait list just started kind of, uh, or, or I wouldn't say a wait list, our, the access just was like increased. Right. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that human beings care more about belonging to other human beings than we care about survival. There's some really cool studies that were done, you know, a really cool and well, it's really sad, but good study that was done in the 80s around monkeys, um, which are our, our um, mm-hmm. genetic siblings, I guess, um, yeah. that just said we care more about connecting than we do about our own survival. And the, and the data is there. It makes us unique compared to other animals that live in our kingdom. And what the pandemic did is it isolated us and it, it made us lose that connection or that belonging. And, yeah. and what people started to realize is that I don't need to be mentally ill to realize, right? I don't need to have a big stigmatized diagnosis to realize that I need help because I don't understand how to navigate this thing that I haven't had to deal with before. Even if I've been a more lonely person or a more isolated or introverted person, I still have connections and those have all been, all been kind of wiped away. And so um, as we're kind of coming out of the pandemic, parents are looking at mental health in a different way. Like, look at how much this has harmed my children. I mean, I exploit kids. I have no idea how this is going to impact them uh, for for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years of their life. Like, we don't know what damage has been done psychologically to our kids. We just pivot, we adjust. Luckily, kids are very resilient. But the way it's been impacted in business is I used to pride myself on having a wait list that was, you know, maybe 10 to 30 people at any given time. And all of a sudden, it feels like overnight, our business, our Minnesota corporate business, went from having 30 people on the wait list to 1,000. Wow. Yeah, 70% of them are children between the ages of five and 17. And yeah. we, we, there's, it's not possible to keep up with the demand because there are not enough therapists um, available who specifically, you know, treat children, right? It's like finding a specialist. Well, and or a needle in a haystack. I was going to say, my, I have five children ranging from 15 to, or 16 to 24 almost. We're about to shift. And wow. the, the condition of the, pandemic and being isolated from school and their peers and the beginning of their lives graduating from college not being able to have normalcy and go into office and, and work with coworkers and get to know people outside of college after you graduate I mean there's so many factors that played in that I have several who have sought counseling for different reasons and sometimes sitting quietly over the pandemic disconnected you start to face some of your own demons I think things you, you thought you may have coped well with some of them, one of my children in particular, some things surfaced that he had really kind of just put aside because he was so busy. So are yeah. you seeing a lot more of that kind of thing where people are really realizing they need help because they've had a quiet period? Oh, yeah. You guys, I got, I'm like a statistical COVID divorce where my life was so busy <laughs> that I, we, there, was no, there wasn't even paying attention to how dysfunctional this relationship was. Yeah. Uh, my my children's father is one of my best friends, and that's what he's been for a long time. He works at Ellie and is great, but it was like, holy crap. Yeah. Now that I'm getting a chance to slow down for four seconds, I'm realizing that there's some pretty big idiosyncrasies here in personal happiness, right? <laughs> and so, so, yeah, I mean, we talk about the cliche COVID divorce. Like, that's a thing yeah. that if somebody were to tell you that five years ago, they'd tell me I'd be divorced and that we'd be out in a pandemic and there'd be something called COVID, I'd be like, you're crazy. Yeah, right? exactly. Right? We don't know how to adjust and adapt. And there's just, you know, I, I think it's fitting to talk about, especially because, you know, you talked about these kids, right? Like we can talk about, we focus a lot on younger kids, a lot on elementary age kids, but I think it's also important to talk about those kids and, and young adults who are launching, right? I still consider myself a kid and I'm in my mid thirties and it's, you know, just trying to sort things out, right? Um, 
but I'm also a millennial, right? And millennials kind of changed the face of mental health stigma. Remember when I was graduating from college, there wasn't a job to be had. We were right. in the middle of one of the greatest recessions of our, his, of our economic history, right? right? And so some of the same challenges that we face, isolation, I'm living in my parents' basement. I was promised as a child the world of opportunity. And that if I go to school and I go to college, I'm going to have this awesome career and job. And we were just kind of stunted in our growth. We are the kids who made therapy the answer yep. because we have to deal with depression and isolation and all right. of these things. And now we're the therapist. Right. Right? And we're the, we're the parents nurturing kids to say, like, we're recognizing this is a similar thing that we dealt with and we need to be proactive and get kids in the council. So let's talk about that. I mean, obviously, that's why I'm, I'm assuming that's why you franchise. Right. Yeah. And and so when you're looking at replicating, which is what franchising is, when you look to replicate, how do you look to take you touched on um, some of your core values? Let's start with that. And then I want to know, you know, you've established these core values. How do you look to find people who can replicate that again and again yeah. and again? Yeah, so I've really narrowed it down to three things when we're when we're interfacing with potential franchisees. And there's there's it's really been off of some deep kind of like soul searching of why have we been so successful. And there's kind of three, you know, outside of our brand, outside of the way we treat our employees, outside of customer service and innovation, there's really three things that I think it takes um, to be a successful mental health owner or mental health practice owner, including and they're required to be an LE practice owner. And the first one is you have to be passionate about mental health. And you yeah. have to be willing to connect and share that story. This is not an industry where you can just like not, you know, you can own a pool supply or a pool cleaning company and you don't care about swimming, right? Like right. it's not a hands-off industry. You have to be authentic and available and affirming and like in it. And therefore you have to be willing to self-disclose, right? So right. the first criteria is passion and connection and a story about mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing for me is, is, is be grounded and excited about a community that you're involved in. Right, okay. Kyle and I are so successful in Minnesota. We are born and raised Minnesotans. I don't don't confuse that with I love living here. I can't stand the cold in the winter, and I'd love to be anywhere but here in December. <laughs> um, but this is our community. Our families are from here. We care about it. We had a career in social work prior to going into private practice together, um, and that is that is something that we're very passionate about. So we know the people, we know the players. When we're saying we want to make a difference in our community, I want to make a difference for the kids that my kids go to school with. Yeah. Right. And their parents and their families. And people always say, like, well, what's in it for you when you help kids and families? I'm like, well, my kids are friends with your kids. And if your kids are doing better or have a better family life, then then, then my kids are less screwed up because of your kids' resiliency. Right. Like, I can make this selfish if you want it to be believable. I'm like, I do care about other people a lot. But, you know, for those people who are questioning, like, we know resiliency lies in how much access to support people get at, at certain ages or certain influence of trauma and all that other kind of stuff. So number two is you have to be you have to be connected and have a strong community presence. And number three is entrepreneurial spirit, which is this idea that I'm like hungry for my business, right? Like I wake up and I know that there's going to be 20 things I don't want to do, but I'm so excited about the 10 things I do get to do that I'm going to have those community connections. The days where it feels like it's too much and I want to quit. When I have to deal with employee drama, when I have to deal with client complaints or all these types of things, like I'm so excited about how I get to make a difference. And, and being involved in my own business, um, that that it gets me through with some of the difficult things, right? Like owning an Ellie is not a passive investment. And we make that very clear in our calls and our discovery days. Like this is not a passive investment. We are looking for people who are involved like we are because we think that is uh, uh, integral to their, their success. 
Sure. So when you look at um, the ideal candidate to own one of your um, practices, are you looking for people who have um, a degree in therapy? Are you looking for people who just share the passion and can find the actual therapists and doctors? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So mental, practicing mental health is actually protected on something called the corporate practice of medicine doctrine. It's this like national thing that says you can't just be an unlicensed person running a medical practice for profit. Okay. 26 states don't really care about it. 24 of them really care about it. And so the way it works for us is there's some logistical stuff with this corporate practice of medicine. And then there's this kind of anecdotal criteria based on our values. Uh, most of our people right now are are people who are passionate, have been in business, maybe have owned other franchise businesses, um, and kind of meet those three those three criteria that we identify. Um, and and when you have those three things, uh, you are authentically able to connect with therapists and hire the people who are actually running your practice. Okay. okay? And so we help we kind of help along the, uh, along the way as far as helping them. You know, we've built like kind of these profiles for who's a great clinic director, who who's a great LE fit for just a clinician employee. Right. And so some of our, um, you know, some of the mistakes of ours that they buy are that we've learned who's not a good fit who is. Right. And so we are we are helping them with some of that recruitment process and just kind of helping them analyze who's a good fit for their business. And we are really very careful at making sure that the personality fit of the of the actual franchisee is good, because if they're not a good personality fit and they can't connect with us on kind of a deeper, more vulnerable level, they're not going to attract therapists. Therapists like we crave emotional connection. We need it. It's, you know, in the threads of our being. And so people who are these practice owners need to have some of that um, kind of inherently about their personalities. Absolutely. Do you find that there is um, one age group that is um, kind of the highest concentration across your, your practices right now? Or does that really vary by market? Are you talking about like people we hire, people we see? People you see. Like right now in my community, I mean, the the, the therapist for children right now is a huge shortage. Um, and I don't know if that's a nationwide thing. I mean, it's, it I, I don't I don't know much about the field. So yeah, even you know the Surgeon General kind of said that children children or the Surgeon General yeah I'm getting my words all mixed up. <laughs> has said children's mental health is a crisis, right? Where it's at like this endemic stage, um, or epidemic epidemic yeah epidemic that's the one where it's evolving always pandemic is where it's more acute i got it we're good we're good we're good no wordsmith or have great vocabulary but i'm working through it um but that is an epidemic right and so we don't have enough children's therapists i would think of that like think about when you have like a general practitioner physician right and then you have um you know a specialist in, in pediatrics we can find more family practice doctors availability than we can find pediatricians who are helping with very specific things. And a lot of people don't look at the mental health field as us as being a subspecialty, but mm-hmm. even within our field, like we're, yes, we're trained as generalists, but you don't want me treating your kids ADHD. Mm-hmm. I, I, I legally can, my license says yeah. I can, but I'd be a terrible therapist. I have ADHD. It would be a hot right. mess. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so there's, there's specialties within the mental health field. And so finding people who specialize in very specific things for children is really hard. It's, it's intensity of training. It's desire. I will tell you right now, I love children. And the way that I get to help children is by working with adults, parents. I do not have the patience or the aptitude to work with kids. It's a very, and I praise the people who do because the skill set is so unique and that's yes. kind of exhausting. Right. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, we, we don't have enough therapists. I mean, Ellie is cool because I love innovation and I love being kind of visionary in the field. 
we're doing a lot of things to help combat that, um, including creating scholarship type programs and experience shifts, especially towards some of our black and indigenous people of color to get more, more of those folks involved in the field, which is really close to us here, our nonprofit. We're actually creating our own master's degree, uh, a university program to try and slash the stigma and some of the, the problems in, in education and academia in this space so that we can start shaping the future generation of mental health professionals um, as we speak, you know, as, as we, we face a supply and demand issue. Um, so it's, it's, it's so involved, it's so crazy. I will tell you that we see a lot of adults though too. We, I, I don't think we have, I think we still have more referrals for adults. We just have more therapists to see them. Yeah. Um, than necessarily, we just have a higher demand for kids because there's a less supply of therapists. Yeah, we did have a question come in from chat, and actually they, they are curious about what is the youngest age of people that you can help, and does that vary upon location, or is it kind of in yeah. a general answer? So in general, we can help kids from zero to five, and it's called before there were words kind of therapy, and it really talks about like traumatic processes. There are people who are specialists um, who can work with children, right, and working on developing. There's this thing called attachment theory, which happens really early on in life. Think about some of our kids who have been taken away from their parents or lost their parents, all that kind of stuff at a really young age. We can work with kids as young. I want to say we've worked with kids as young as 12 months, right, a year um, yeah. old, and kind of work through some attachment theory um, type stuff. There's different there's different levels of what we can do on an outpatient basis. LE is an outpatient therapy business, um, which means that people come to us or do telehealth. We do have some in-home type programs for our lower-income families who maybe have transportation access barriers and stuff like that. Uh, that's here in Minnesota, not in our franchise network, because it's a special kind of contract um, here in Minnesota. But yeah, we can help kids as young as, as young as they need to be. And there's some pretty compelling research that says if a child does experience some pretty significant trauma at any age, that there's some things we can do with attachment theory with those children and their caregivers to help, uh, you know, again, provide resiliency. Wow, that's amazing. I'm curious, with the shortage of therapists and the uh, speed with which you are growing, um, yeah. I wanted to address the, the, the way you're scaling this, because the, to go from 20-ish locations to, to, what was it, 200 in, in a short period of time, how are you managing that in terms of both the training and support that you can give the franchisees, but also in terms of the staffing if we don't have a lot of therapists available? Yeah, so I can answer that in kind of two parts. I'll go with the staffing thing first. So one of the things that makes LE unique, right, like I said, these are the three things I look for franchisees, but we have these unique things about our brand that make us desirable to want to buy into um, is, is our employee experience. So even though there's a shortage of therapists in the market, we capture a majority of them, right? We don't, Ellie doesn't have a problem necessarily hiring, but there still isn't enough, right? Mm -hmm. Our biggest problem is the, is the push fully lovers, right? How many more offices do we add in certain locations based on how many therapists and how many referrals and all that kind of stuff? We, we still have to run our business um, well, and we can't just, just because there's this huge demand doesn't mean we can just add unlimited locations and we have to be smart about our strategy, right? Um, so it's not as easy as saying, oh, well, you have a thousand people on your wait list, just add this many more locations and therapists, right? It's just, it's just not that easy. So we have kind of an unmatched employee experience. We have really honed in at, at understanding. I mean, Kyle and I, my partner, we worked for big agencies, nonprofits. We worked in our own little private practice. And we really said, how can we take the best of both worlds? And, and push them together. So our employment experience really takes the best of, of working for yourself and working for a big agency and really steams those things together. 
So we don't have a problem hiring. And in fact, I just got some information. One of our um, franchisees in Tennessee, they have hired, uh, they, they bought two unit licenses. Um, they were not planning until opening later this fall. They have hired 18 clinicians, three clinic directors. They just expanded and added four more licenses in their territory in Tennessee because they are recruiting like crazy. Now, some of our other franchisees, if you're looking in, you know, in Idaho, right, there's just not as many therapists who live there. So we have to get creative with our recruiting efforts. But when we are able to tap into these therapists, they're choosing to work for us, right, because of all of the things we do for the employment experience. that's very unique and kind of a, a, a unique qualifier for us um, over the industry norm. Um, so that's that. Uh, number two is Kyle and I, you know, despite being kind of like these progressive Minnesota liberal millennials, right? We are very conservative when it comes to business, which shocks and surprises everyone, mainly fiscally conservative, a little bit risk averse. Um, and so we have never had a problem um, pre-hire. We're kind of like scared, right? Like what if we do have a shortage of staff to help us scale? And so when we first became profitable. I shouldn't say profitable. Kyle and I, the way we started our business, we knew we didn't want to take money from an investment company or we didn't want to be a nonprofit. We didn't want anyone to tell us what to do, right? We worked for government agencies, lots of red tape, all this stuff. So we're like, darn it, we're going to work and we're going to pay for this ourselves, right? We had lots of people, family members, all that who wanted to invest, but we didn't want to, you know, report to anybody. So Kyle and I used to see 40 clients a week when we started our practice. We'd get half of our paycheck back to our business. And that is what started and funded the business, okay? By about... By about two years in, we were able to scale back and pull back that we didn't have to pay money in anymore, right? But we still had to see clients make an income. Then we started seeing a profit, right? And Kyle and I looked at each other and we said, do we want to start making money from our business or do we want to start hiring a team to help us? And it wasn't even like, it wasn't even a question. I get the chills when I talk about, we were like, we're hiring a team. And that has been our philosophy ever since that we are only as good as our team. We can only support our brand as we can fulfill our promises and, and support our values and our mission. And so we, we, you know, I get some flack from some of our business partners who are like, why did you hire this person? I'm like, I don't know. I think I need them. You know, and so we are careful to make sure that we're not overhiring and that kind of good stuff, but really, you know, for territory directors, for example, they probably don't need to start for another month or two. We mm -hmm. hired them about six weeks ago. Um, because we want to make sure they're they're grounded in 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 our process. They, we we make sure that they're a part of our culture. They understand. They operate it within the Ellie family uh, yep. system. So we are we are ahead of schedule. We need some franchise franchises to open so that people don't feel like they're just sitting around waiting for for some of this to happen. And I just got word actually yesterday that our first franchise is opening in less than in three. So I'm very excited about that. I think that's awesome. We have one more question for from chat, and then I do want to go into some of the the finer details of opening franchises and and investments and things of that nature for people who are, you know, like me, extremely interested in this model. Um, the question is pretty specific, and um, so do we? Do you have a service that uh, services children between say six and ten? Any specialized therapists for kids that are that young who may be suicidal? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, any child therapist that we work with would, would be able to navigate that those types of uh, symptoms and issues. That's a hundred percent. Yeah. 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 And it's so sad because I, you, you hear of so many children within that age group. It's a very tough age and there are a lot of things going on these days mm -hmm. that, um, that cause some of those. So, so that's well, and, and the biggest one has been, you know, the kids have shifted online, right? And so oh. that, that's the way they connect. 
is the belonging have connections is online, but there's a lot of bullying and cyber, you know, cyber stuff yeah. going on there. So it's a double-edged sword that this is how they can connect with their peers, which they desperately need. And yeah. it's creating a lot of um, other issues too. It, it really is. It really is. I, I, it's bad. And our family is not free of a lot of that, unfortunately, but um, so whoever's out there asking those questions, the one thing I can tell you is you're just not alone. So don't feel like you are because there's a lot of people struggling. If you have a kid that goes through those ages, you've been there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about um, investment level, uh, investment level, excuse me. So what are you looking for um, to get one of these businesses started? Yeah, so I'm, I am, I can tell you in the general terms. I have uh, our franchise development person who knows like the exact number. So anybody listening, do not quote me on what I say. Um, opening an LE is, is actually pretty awesome. I want to say our rate is like somewhere between 150 and like 260,000, depending on how the size of your clinic, you know, your rent, all that kind of stuff. It, it's easy because it requires, you know, general office space and some basic furniture. Right. right, and so our brand toolkit kind of highlights that there's not a lot that you need. It's not like a big fancy gym where you're buying, you know, $5,000 pieces of equipment and, and all of that kind of stuff. So the investment level is pretty is pretty low-key um, to, to get an LE started and get it opened. I, I don't want to – I would say that's probably the easiest part of running a medical practice. Sure. There's a lot of nuanced details. This is not a membership model or a subscription service or okay. um, even a fixed-pricing restaurant, Right. Right. Um, we're dealing with insurance companies and payers and varying rates. We help negotiate all of those contracts on our franchises we have and, and really are, are, have been delighted to see that a lot of our contracts are coming in at rates that are higher than what we put okay. in our performance and stuff like that, which is exciting. Um, but we're not guaranteed. Um, so some of right. the things we're able to do because we are a large organization that is nationwide is we can negotiate with those large payer systems, you know, your, your Aetnas, your Cygnas, your Blues, all that kind of stuff at the national level. To secure sure. some higher level contracts, that's what they want. So there's there's so much nuanced detail to owning and running a healthcare practice, which we're excited about sharing and feel like this is the right the right way to do it. Um, but to get one to get one open is actually not so so hard. Sure. Well, and another question from chat since we're um, on this topic, and, and I know that you can only disclose what's in your FDD, but yep. what are you seeing in terms of how long it takes to get one of these practices profitable? Yeah, so I we, we don't really talk about that. What we disclose because because our Minnesota system is all under one, and because we've hired on all these people who are helping with franchising, but we still run it under this one kind of business. We can't provide information on our unit level economics because mm -hmm. we we it wouldn't be it would be skewed, right? It wouldn't be an accurate depiction like description of what's happening um, in at, at the at the clinic level. What I can tell you anecdotally is that we, because of telehealth, um, we have been able to see um, these things, our, our clinics get profitable in a very short period of time. Here in Minnesota, we had a clinic here in Edina, which is a popular area where that clinic was, you know, throwing up numbers of gross revenue in the, in the hundreds of thousands before it was even open because we were able to recruit and get people um, seen via telehealth um, mm -hmm. before the, the brick and mortar store was open. So we're in a really good spot um, with the demand for mental health, like there is no shortage of clients, which is a beautiful. Do you see now? Uh oh, I think you froze. There, but okay. Oh, are we good? Wait. Yep, you're back now. Okay. Do, because of the telehealth, do you see the initial investment on the size of clinic and build out to potentially be flexible because there's so much telehealth? 
We do and we don't. So we've actually collected this data. About 70% of our clients, now that the pandemic, it's like they're not worried about their health as much, mm-hmm. uh, prefer to be seen in person. Okay. So they still, and our therapists prefer to do therapy in person. They like the option. So I, I love that it reduced our, it brought our no-show rate from, you know, 25% or late cancel rate down mm-hmm. to about 13%, right? Okay. So it made huge strides in people's ability to attend because it's like, oh, now that my kid's home from school, I can just, you know, connect via via a telehealth platform versus come in and I don't have to cancel, which is great. It gives people greater access, um, but people want to be seen in person and therapists want to do their job in person. There's, you know, I kind of describe it a little bit like, um, you know, it's like, like in the pandemic when you have to Zoom with your family members. It's not like giving them a hug in person or seeing what's happening in yes. the space or you go, I, you know, I did some health projects during the pandemic and I was trying to show people on my camera and they're like, well, what does that look like? Or what? I'm like, you can't see that from the Zoom, right? So there's, there's a lot of that in therapy, you know, the nonverbals and what's kind of happening around you that, that is really integral to how we're effective as therapists. And so in-person is, is going to be still the, the model for a long time. And telehealth to us is more of like a, we do it if we have to, to make sure people can get access to care. Sure, absolutely. And so ideally, if you uh, could tell the, the folks out there, and obviously we've got the investment level right now, I'm, I'm going to ask, are you um, on the, the kind of the 7A path of fast-tracking for SBA loans? Are you in a I have, S- I have you in- no idea. Okay. All right. That's okay. That you don't have to know, right? That's not- <laughs> I, I know that I got an SBA loan when I bought my building, so there's okay. that. But okay. I have no idea. But you know what? Yeah. If people want to find the answer to that question out, they can yep. call you. And I think uh, now would be they a good time. They should not call me. But yeah, exactly. Call exactly. So <laughs> tell people the best way to get in touch with you so that they can find out if you're on the fast track. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So the best way is ellementalhealth.com. We have information on there on franchising. We actually have a job form like directly linked to our website where people can fill out information and uh-huh. inquire. We we currently work with Repum, um, which is a franchise development company. So we've got a lot of awesome people at them who will reach out to you almost immediately to answer all, all the questions that you could possibly have. Excellent. And we will certainly have all that information posted for everyone on our website as well, including all the links to um, find you across social media. It will be on our page. Um, so they can always go back and catch that as well. We'd like to thank you so much for coming on the show today. And I'm just so delighted. I can't wait to see what markets you're um, looking to expand in next. And I certainly look forward to having a follow-up call with you and see how we can help you, Erin, and Ellie Mental Health expand across the United States. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It was super fun. Awesome. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing? Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new move-ins to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content, and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, we'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. 
That's 805-265-5440 or westvinewithaY.com. Hello. How are you, Jerry? Hey, Karen. How are you doing today? Life's Great. good. It is good. Wow. Was that just fun listening to that interview with Aaron? I, 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 I love could. the passion and the energy around, you know, around mental health, helping people of all different ages. I tell you, I think I talk fast, but Aaron is so passionate. You know, <laughs> she's just spewing stuff out there, and I can't absorb it that fast. I'm going to have to watch this program again just so that I can pick up on it. But that was that was eye-opening. It was phenomenal. It was very rewarding. I mean, I, I was blown away by it. Me, me too. And I really think as we think about, you know, Mental Health Month, March being Mental Health Month, but it was a great, which is a great segment. And, and, and we'd love to continue that conversation. As, I think as, as business owners, uh, that, that's one of the things that I know both of us is very near and dear to our hearts because, you know, we, the, when employees, when, when we work as leaders, we work with our employees. They bring, they're the whole person. It's not like they can just leave their personal lives out there and say, okay, well, I'm going to leave that outside the door and I'm going to walk in <laughs> and just be here professionally. So it really, it makes an impact. Yeah, you know, if I look historically, that's kind of the way businesses have approached it, right? They said, leave your stuff at home, uh, come to work, let's just focus on work, and then go home and deal with it. And that's really easy to say. And I can honestly tell you, I had one point in my life where work was my salvation because I could escape some of that stuff. But not everybody's wired that way. And in the world we live on now, and now we, we spoke about it a little bit ago with, uh, you know, recovering from COVID and the the kids being out of school and losing those opportunities to learn, you know, educational skills and create relationships. This is going to be theoretically a pretty big thing moving forward. And, you know, you and I talk about it from a, a work standpoint. So the vast majority of my employees come from, you know, difficult upbringings, uh, it, you know, maybe, uh, you, you know, not the best home life and those kinds of things. And that tends to continue generationally, right? And so we as caring employers, you and I and many others, uh, we look for opportunities to help our employees with those kinds of things so they can break those molds and move forward. But this is just one other option that we can put into our tool belt to help. Absolutely. You know, because we are all hardwired. I mean, research shows we're hardwired uh, probably up to eight, like age 16. Right. So what, what someone brings to the workplace, it is, it is who they are. And there are a lot of things that we can change. There's a lot of things that we can help, but it's also recognizing and meeting people where they are and, 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 and working that with that and not expecting them to fit into some kind of a, a mold with, of what we, of what we want. And I think that's well, a key I, thing. I agree. And you touched on something very important there, Karen, with the recognizing part of it, because you know, how many times have we heard stories, and we've certainly seen in our business, where you're working side by side with somebody day after day after day, and suddenly, um, you know, something catastrophic happens, and, and I hate to say it, but even so much as suicide or something like that, and there were really very few signs of it, if anything, and those people felt uncomfortable letting people know what was going on in their life. They didn't know who to reach out to, and having resources that we can, you know, third-party, unbiased, you know, very quiet, uh, quietly uh, serving type resources that we can, you know, add as, you know, maybe a benefit to our staff so that they can feel comfortable reaching out and talking to those people without anybody else knowing about it might, might actually save lives in the long run. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, when I was in my late 20s, 
um, I had something that really impacted me where the person who worked beside me, we were in a cult, you know, kind of like a company culture where it, uh, it didn't really, it kind of poo-pooed mental health. And she actually committed suicide. Didn't even know. And, and just like one Monday I walk in and they're like, oh, you know, Lynn's not here. And it really shook me because I had no clue. I mean, I, and then so I'm blaming me. I'm like, my gosh, why didn't I know this? I talked to her, you know, every day. And I think there's so many of us that are out there that we don't, we don't know. And, and, you know, and one of the things that, that I, that I really, that, that just every time I work with companies and even with, with leading my company, we, the leaders, and you touched upon this earlier, it really is up to us to set the tone, to set the stage for the culture and to, 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 to make it okay. And to also find out ways where we can be the model and to reinforce this. Well, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, again, as your organization grows, sometimes you're a little bit remote and isolated for your employees. So you don't get that day-to-day, uh, you know, relationship where you can maybe sense things that are going on and take care of them. So again, many of the populations we hire from, we know uh, financial instability leads to a tremendous amount of mental health issues and, and value issues, self-worth issues, those kinds of things. So, you know, we try and put many programs in place proactively uh, for the most part, on our dime to make sure that uh, that there are resources and that we can do what we can to um, lower the barrier, lower the threshold of of those things become those mental health issues becoming strong. For instance, and I know Kristen wanted me to touch on this in our organization. You know, we knew that uh, you know the vast majority of our moms and in, in the Great Clips organization, you know. Uh, 98% of our employees are female, and the vast majority of them are, are childbearing years, so we've got a lot of moms that we deal with. One of the biggest issues with them was, was good child care, not just child care, but good child care. So we bought a daycare center, and we're providing subsidized daycare for our employees so that, you know, first off, it's available to them. Second off, it costs less. Uh, and lastly, and maybe most importantly, you know, they've got actual – uh, preschool teachers that are working with their kids rather than the neighbor down the block that, you know, sets that kid in front of the TV with a peanut butter sandwich eight hours a day and collects their pay and the kid goes home no better off and maybe worse off. So we're trying to, you know, positively impact our employees on several levels with just that one, that one thing that it doesn't impact just them, but it impacts their kids and maybe multi-generations because of it. Absolutely. And I think that's the whole with, with the ch- our children our families, that's such an important part component. <laughs> and it touches so much of our, of our lives. It, it really, it really does. You know, one of the things too, so you mentioned like the, 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 the health programs, you know, the different kinds of employee assistance programs and, and, and the daycare. And I also think there's, you know, you talked about we're all remote and we're still going to be remote. And what I found is that even making part of our conversations. And I've been doing this with my team and I encourage my clients to do the same thing. So it's when you're talking with someone, you're doing your one-on-one, it's, it's to ask the question, how are you? And yes. they go, oh, fine. No, really, really, how are you? How are you? How are you doing? And really taking a moment. And one of the things that I found, and a lot of my clients are telling me, right now, there's so much more, I think, upheaval. And, and, you know, people having, you know, Aaron brought it up as far as like, you know, divorce, illness, um, problems with children. I, see, I just see it more and more. And I think the past couple of years have, have caused that. So, again, I think as leaders, 
by asking and inquiring a little bit. And it doesn't mean we've got to get these, you know, get into these deep, long stories, but the fact that we care, right, that, that's, that is so important. We, uh, you show you care and you show that that's more than just an employee to you and that there's long-term value to them that you recognize so it doesn't become a churn within your organization. I mean, you can think about it two different ways, and they should be intertwined, but they may not be. But if, frankly, I hate to put it this way, but if you're not that interested in helping with mental health with your employees, shame on you. But, but if you're not, think about them as good, solid, long-term employees. And if mental health issues drive those employees to do something different with their lives, what can you do just to keep them as you know, longer-term employees? Um, we approach it. You know, that's certainly part of our uh, method, but we approach it from the opposite end. We like to think of them as human beings, and uh, we're, in a, we're in a situation where we can, you know, provide them help with whatever it might be that's causing these mental health issues or getting them help with the mental health issues. And so uh, that leads to longer-term employment and better employees and those kinds of things. So, and, you know, one of the things we keep talking about the remote thing, and with some of us, because our organization is so widespread, remote is just a daily thing. But with virtual is- issues now using Zoom and FaceTime and all those other kinds of things that are out there, WebEx, you know, you can be talking to an individual or a group of people multiple times a day if you want to. So, you know, we're quite proud in our organization that uh, if we don't have time to get out to some of the old locations, we literally have a kumbaya around the campfire <laughs> meeting with, with Zoom, you know, okay. so that they know that, you know, we're talking directly to each and every one of them that's on it. And we hear them, they can, you know, message in something that we talk about that's pertinent to them. And it makes them all feel like even though we're not even in the same state with them, we're thinking about them and we're looking for ways to help them and their families and may not be able to do everything, but we'll take it under advisement and try and help. But even if we can't do it for everybody, we might be able to do something for that one person who brings it up to help them. Exactly. And I think the the, the couple words that, that we're using a lot, connection, the connecting and, and, and the belonging is we, we need that. We, we need, we need, we need, we need both of that. I think that's a really important thing. Yeah, you know, and again, we we talk about a lot of populations, uh, but but let's face it, if you uh, if you're fairly well off, and if you uh, you know uh, you don't worry about a lot of the things the rest of the population does, you don't worry so much about you know can you make the rent or payment on your the place you live, what's food look like for your family, which uh, uh, too much of the population has to worry about yet. So the more we understand that's going on in the world and we comprehend that we do have some control over what happens with our employees uh, at several different levels leading up to the mental health part of it. You know, there's, there's just so much you can do. And, you know, talking employer to employer and to the employers that are listening out there or potential franchisees, you know, some of these things don't have to cost a lot. Like you talked about just the connection with people just having conversations with them and checking on them and, and listening to them when they send in, you know, whether it's reviews that they're involved in or just notes they send in or something you hear from one of their peers, you know, taking, taking that to heart and actually seeing what you can do to help with it is, is, is so fulfilling, costs very little, and actually helps your business in the long run. And, and I'll, I'll add, and I know we talk about, because I know we talk about like, you know, underserved, we talk about different ages, I will tell you that I also am seeing a lot of people at leadership levels that they're saying, you know, we keep talking about all, all these other people. You know, I know I should not have these issues, yet I do. 
because I'm everyone's looking to me. I'm trying to figure out, are we in person? Are we virtual? Are we this? Are we that? The, the financial impact of leading a company, that this is really impacting them as well. So many of them are saying, you know, I need some help. And so I know many have actually brought in uh, workshops, workshops on how do we communicate better, workshops on how do we handle stress, right? Because it doesn't, I mean, mental health, it's, there's a varying degree. And so it's really well, trying to approach that in, di- in different ways and educate people too on what we, what we all can do. And you, you bring up a great point because many people don't understand that the leaders of the world need somebody to talk to as well, because even though they may not be worrying about their paycheck or their rent or their payment on their house or food for their kids or any of those kinds of things, they're dealing with the things that you mentioned and more. And post-COVID, especially now when uh, there's a there's a shortage of staff, employment is all up in arms and those kinds of things, there's tremendous pressure on the leaders of the organizations to frankly solve problems they've never had to deal with before. And, you know, there's financial issues at the company level, you know, how, and, you know, many companies are running at a, a percentage of capacity because they don't have enough staff. And if you're doing that, what you probably lost was the profit off of your organization. Right. So maybe, maybe you're paying the bills, but there's no profit. And if there's no profit, there's no opportunity to grow. Absolutely. You know, you may have to improve <laughs> your facility. There's no cash to do that with. It's right. just a cascading type thing leading to exactly. big problems. Exactly. So I guess bottom line is, is that we all have stress. We all have varying degrees of stress. Right. And it's not just it's recognizing that, recognizing how we can deal with it. And we talked about a few different ways of, of, uh, of doing that. So great, great talking with you. Great, t- great talking about this subject. I think the more we talk about it, the more it's going to be commonplace to talk about it. And I, I, I love this. Yeah. Yeah, it was wonderful. And I'll tell you, as we're wrapping up here, uh, always spending time with you on these conversations is very rewarding. I love Kristen, but it's nice to have just a little bit of variety from time to time. And you are, you are a lot of fun. I love the face Kristen just made when I said that. So she and I'll be talking, I'm sure. But uh, also, I will add, as much as we talk about the leadership thing, and Fred will bug me about this if I don't, the fact is, there still has never been a better time to get into franchising than right now. Uh, amazing opportunities like Ellie that wasn't on my radar, and I'm the king of franchising. So, you know, you look at those things. You know, I'm involved in some acquisitions in some different spaces now. Lots of great things going on out there. So anybody thinking of leaving their corporate job and buying a franchise or expanding into a second brand or something, you, you literally may not find a better time in history than right now. So, you know, reach out. We've got some great mentors here at Pillars. We've got, uh, we've certainly got Kristen and David for the brokerage side of it. We've got all of the other resources we have to help people set up companies and so on. And we've got connections. And that might be the biggest thing is connections. We can help you find people that'll finance and, and yeah. educate you on things and all those other kinds of things. We're single source. That's what we talk about all the time. So I will wrap up my part and say, Get a hold of us, buy a franchise. We're here to help you. And we can reduce your stress. And we can reduce your stress. (laughs) Excellent quote. Sounds good. Thanks. As usual, thank you for joining Pillars of Franchising. We appreciate every single one of you. Um, We want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Titus Center for Franchising at Palm Beach Atlantic University. You can find them on the college's website. Also, Franchise Show 247, which can be found at franchiseshow247.com. And we couldn't do it without our sponsors, and we appreciate their support.
don't forget, we'd love to have calling guests. Our number to call in is 323-580-5755. That is 323-580-5755. If you have questions for our guests or for any of our Million Dollar Mentors, we welcome you to call in at any time on the show. We will do our very best to answer your calls. Stay tuned. More coming up. I don't know what that was, Fred. I was told to wait until after that. <laughs> all right, then. <laughs> We'd like to thank you all for joining us on the show today with our guest, Karen Pash of Ellie Mental Health. What a fantastic lady and a great interview. Please be sure to like, share, and comment on this episode. And thank you to uh, those of you who wrote in and chatted with us today. Um, Thank you to Jerry Akers, one of our Million Dollar Mentors, for his insight and wisdom. And thanks to Karen Kimsey Sword of Dale Carnegie. And to Elizabeth Denham and Fred McMurray, our producers, I am Kristen Shalmessi, one of another one of your Million Dollar Mentors. And together, we are your resource for franchising success. This has been Pillars of Franchising, and the dream starts here. Wow, 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 wow,